kind of verse by verse by verse, but the Psalms have been a little bit different. And so I've kind of been shuffling where we're landing on a weekly basis. And so we are in Psalm 136. And um, I, I do want to say something about the Georgies uh, before we begin. Um, Andre and Andre and Su- um, Susan Giorgi, they, um, they're missionaries that we've been supporting for a couple of years now. I knew him through seminary. I had no idea. I knew he was married. I knew he had kids. I had no idea who he was married to. And it was at the advent, I'd lost contact with him. And due to Facebook, I met, reunited with all of my high school friends. And one of the girls from my high school said, Gunnar, you're a Christian? You're a pastor? Hey, wait, I think you even went to Bible college and seminary with my husband. I'm like, who's your husband? She's like, Andrea. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And so then we had him, and he came and brought the word, and, and uh, he's Italian. He is Italian to the bone. I make fun of him to his face. I made, like, before he came and preached one Sunday to Sunday, before I really let him have it. And I called him, like, hey, are you ready to show up? And he's like, yeah, Gunnar, I'm wearing shorts and flip-flops, and uh, I'm going to show them. I'm going to leave my man purse at home, and I'm going to, like, leave his real nice suits. But he's Italian to the bone. And uh, he moved to the United States to serve here and to reach Americans, and he married an American. They plan on settling here. And then the Lord called them back to Italy. Um, Europe is a country that is far from God, and, 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 and he is Italian. And so he's reaching Italians. They've started a Bible college, and God is doing good things through them. And, and one of the sacrifices that many missionaries make is they sacrifice distance uh, of their family. And so stuff happens, and they... You know, they're supported by Americans, and the euro, the, the, the dollar is not powerful in, in Europe. And so they've, they're financially, they've, they've been very, things have been tight. Um, and, and her dad has been sick for a while. And what happened is, um, this week has been one of those weeks, pray for me, if I have strength, and it's just been uh, one of the whirlwind weeks. So I think it was about three or four days ago, she got word that her dad, after having dialysis, was leaving the hospital. He fell, and he um, <clears throat> cracked his head, and it broke his skull. It required emergency brain surgery. They didn't find him for an hour, so he's laying in the hallway for an hour. They finally got him into surgery, and he's been... I think he's been unconscious, and she um, was trying to figure out, do I come? How do I get here? They, they had a ticket that they, somebody in their family had given them to come home for Christmas. And the bottom line is, is to, to bump, bump the trip earlier to leave right away with her and her young daughter, Eva. Um, it would cost them 900 U.S. dollars. And basically, I talked to the finance committee, and we said that we would pull the funds from our, you know, we don't have a, it's not budgeted sort of stuff, but we're going to give the money because we don't want to add a financial crisis to her in light of her dad's crisis. So they, she's currently airborne right now and will arrive in LAX um, this evening. And I want to make clear, I don't do special offerings often. If you do a special offering every week, they're not special. And I certainly, if you're visiting, I am not, I, like, I don't ask for money. <laughs> like, this is, but if you want to participate in giving and helping offset the cost of this flight or to give her some ec- extra money with this unseen um, thing, you can do that, and we will get the money to them. Um, but everybody can pray, and this is a, a, a you know, we're, we're praying um, that he stays alive until she can get there. 
Um, she doesn't even know what to pray on, on his staying alive or, or hit the Lord taking him home. She doesn't know because if he survives through this, the doctors say it's very bleak and it's going to be a very difficult thing. So their family is just in turmoil. They may be faced with some very serious um, decisions. And so we want to keep them in prayer. And um, so we want to pray for them right now. And um, then we'll get into the word. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you for Susan and Andre, Lord, and their faithfulness to you. And Lord, I just pray for Susan right now, Lord, that as she, um, Lord, as she's flying, you know, somewhere between here and Italy, Lord, I pray um, that you would give her the peace that only you have to offer. Lord, that you would um, just help her, Lord. I know she's traveling with a four-year-old, and and so, Lord, we ask that you would help her with all of her connections. Uh, the stress that she's been under, the lack of sleep in the last few days. Um, Father, we pray that you would um, keep her dad alive so that she could see him. I know that she's got, um, you know, just being so far away and being so helpless in this, Lord. We um, we pray that you would just help her. Um, Lord, we pray that you would um, give the family wisdom, Lord, as they will have to make decisions in the, in the upcoming days. And, um, Lord, these are decisions that we don't know how to make. And so, Lord, we know that every life is in your hand. And so we lift her father to you. We lift her mother to you, all of the siblings. Lord, that you would just be with them during this time. And, Lord, we pray for Andrea. Lord, as he um, has a very busy ministry back in Italy, and he now has a handful of kids to be responsible for um, on his own. And, and we dads aren't necessarily the best when we get them on our own. And so I just pray that you would... Lord, that you would give him an extra measure of grace, that you would, Lord, help him uh, to minister to his wife and to his children. And, Lord, as he um, makes arrangements to get home as soon as he can, uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you would just, um, that you would be with them, Lord, that you would comfort them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And please keep them in your prayers. And as as I get more information, I will let you all know. Um, But going to Psalm 136. This this month, uh, we did a month in October was the plan of just doing Psalms. And then my plan was to just jump into Second Timothy in on what month are we in? <laughs> on November and December and then start Luke in the new year. But as we began the Psalms, the Psalms are just this fly is going to be attacking me throughout the whole service. So I'll try to ignore him or her. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and. But the Psalms have a way of just ministering to our souls. And, and we celebrate all of these holidays. And of all of the holidays that we celebrate in the United States, I believe that Thanksgiving embodies um, Christian values the most. But unfortunately, our holidays are driven by the marketplace. What can you sell? Um, how much money can we make? The day after Thanksgiving is Black Friday. Growing up, I always thought it was called Black Friday because it was related to shopping. And it's like, oh, the dread of going shopping, you know. But it's actually like it's all measured on our economy getting into the black. This is where like all the money is being made. And you can't market Thanksgiving. Like it's simply giving thanks. And, and as I've been going through these psalms of Thanksgiving to realize that giving thanks is the antidote to about everything. So if we can learn to become thankful people, we're going to be happier people. And, and so as we get into Psalm 136, this psalm 
is difficult because it was supposed to be sung. And any time you start teaching a song, it has a sort of a different impact. This song would have been sung during the Passover, all of the major feasts. It was a party song. So it would, you know, being to Israel and see, I mean, they'd be, if you've seen Fiddler on the Roof or you've seen anything, like the culture of the Hebrew people, they'd be dancing and singing and clapping and, and just so much joy in this psalm. And I have no rhythm, I have no tone, I have no like ability to, to convey all of this to you. So <laughs> bear with me. But the, the message behind this psalm is powerful. Uh, one commentary says this about it. The theme is praise the Lord who performed great wonders. And the refrain is because of his enduring loyal love. So as you just now glance down at Psalm 136, you'll notice that there's a phrase that happens over and over again. If I could get the PowerPoint next slide, uh, um, I'm going to need your help. In the New American Standard, 26 times we read, for his loving kindness is everlasting. If you have the NIV, it will say his love endures forever. If you have the King James Version, it'll say his mercy is everlasting. Does anybody have an ESV? That's the one I don't. Anybody have an ESV in here? Nobody has an ESV. Do you have an ESV? Okay, so I don't know what it says, but the idea is that God's love, his kindness, his mercy towards us is everlasting. And it's difficult to read this. And what I need is your all's, y'all's help. Um, I'm going to read the first half, but we will all read out of the New American Standard. So uh, as I give, this is called an, what's? Antiphony in music we would be singing. I would be sing the first half. You guys would sing the second half. But we'll just read it, and we're going to sound like last service. I didn't know how it turned out, but it's man, you guys sound like robots by the end. It's like his loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is everlasting. And then listening to it, I'm like, man, I should have like worked out a recording so I could have elevator music with his. Loving kindness is everlasting, just repeating the whole time I'm talking today, because that's the idea that this phrase is just that God's loving kindness, his love endures forever. His mercy is everlasting over and over and over. But I can't like cover that thing every single time going through this. Um, So you guys ready to help me? Okay, don't be shy. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. For his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who alone does great wonders. For his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill. For his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. For his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule by day, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The moon and the stars to rule by night, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who smote the Egyptians in their firstborn, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And brought Israel out from their midst, for his loving kindness is everlasting. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, and made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his loving kindness is everlasting. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. For his loving kindness is everlasting. 
to him who led his people through the wilderness, to him who smote great kings, and slew mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, even a heritage to Israel, his servant, who remembered us in our low estate, and he rescued us from our adversaries, who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the Lord, like give thanks to God of heaven. Can you guys hear yourself? Give thanks for his loving God. Do you think that the author is trying to get this? Give thanks. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his loving kindness is everlasting. In the first three verses we see give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. This whole psalm is about giving thanks. The center of it is unpacking why we are giving thanks to God. This is all about God and that we need to become a thankful people. The first three verses are the call to worship, the call and that we praise and we give him thanks. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. If you ever are like, just can't find anything to be thankful for, God is good. God is the only, only thing that is good. Jesus, when they called him a good teacher, he said, Wait, what do you mean when you call me good? For nobody's good, only God is good. And they say, well, you're good. He's like, okay, I'll receive it. I'm God. I'm God. God is good. We can give thanks for the simple truth that God is good. He says, give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. God alone is worthy of being given thanks. Now, none of us, well, I can't say none of us. The assumption here is that none of us are, are Jewish and that we weren't raised in a Jewish home. We weren't raised during these festivals. So this psalm is going to reference a lot of stuff from the Old Testament that we might miss. But it's important for us to go to. So the next slide here, it's been brought to my attention. I'm going to try to do this from week to week because I murmur and I I get ahead of myself. So the attempt, as best as I can, is to leave the verses of where I think I might go. (laughs) No promises, big star, but I think I'm going to go here. I think I know from the last service, I went somewhere else, and, and I may or may not go there this time. But Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, as they were saying these three verses, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Their minds would have been drawn to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. So I want us to turn there. It's in the, if you ever get lost, it's, it's a good thing stumbling through the Bible. That's how we learn to navigate it. And that's why I want you guys to fumble through. There's always a table of contents. And it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. See, we're all learning. And I can barely remember people's names. So getting the names of the books in order. <clears throat> I need to learn the song. And you'll notice in that new room, if you ever get lost, you just go look at all the names of the books of the Bible around the, the edge of it. So here, when they're saying this, give thanks to, to God for he is good. Give, um, give thanks to the God of gods, the Lord of lords. They would go right to verse 17 of Deuteronomy chapter 10. Listen, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. There is only one God. 
Only one. You'll notice that the first word is in capitals. The second letter is not in capital. That's giving proper name to God. The rest we might call other gods. They had all kind of idolatry, but they were only idols that man had made with his own hands that bear man's likeness. There is only one God. Now, I want us to back up to see the context of Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. And in verse 12, it says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? And I love this question. And it's almost like, well, what does God even require of you? He doesn't even ask you anything in light of what he's done. But now let's check out all the stuff that they say. You know, what does God even require of you? Then he's going to list about five things here. He says, what does the Lord require from you but to fear the Lord your God? I think it was last week or the week before. The fear of God is all through the Bible. God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that feels fills them. In Proverbs, we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the instruction to wisdom. So as we fear God, as we recognize him for who he is, we're tethered to this truth that my actions are accountable before him. How I live out this life matters. He goes on to say, the Lord your God, fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And they would read this and they would think of a few chapters back, the Shema of the Jewish people. Deuteronomy 6, 4 that says, Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. As, you, as you're walking, as you're sitting, as you're standing, teach these commandments to your children. May it consume everything that you are. And if you go to Israel today or if you go to a practicing Jewish person's house, there's going to be a mezuzah on their door. And inside of that little box is that verse. To remind them, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your might. An impossible task. We need his help. We turn into praying, Lord, help me to love you with all my soul. We need desperate help to it. He says, okay, verse 13, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. God's law is not to take away our fun. I don't know if you're like me. You may be like I was now. I used to say I did not want to become a Christian because I didn't want to stop having fun. Then after I gave my life to the Lord due to a series of bad decisions and got myself in a, a multiple pickles, and I finally kind of surrendered. You know, most, most people raise their hands and they say, oh, it's saying, oh, Lord, I love you. Mine, when I do it, it's like, Lord, I give up. Like a cop has a gun to my back. I give up. I surrender. But I realize now, looking back, I had no idea how to have fun. I had no idea how to find true joy, peace, and happiness. Now in my life, living for the Lord, this is where joy, this is where happiness comes. And he says, obey these, keep the commandments. Last service, I got a huge amen from all of the parents. How good does it feel when your children... Obey you without like any sort of threat or warning. They just do it. Yeah. Amen. And it's like, it's like, like, preach it, brother. You know, like, let's sit. Like, like when your child suddenly, you know, they disobey. They don't want to do anything. And they say, oh, I love you, dad. It's like, oh, okay, I love you, too. And I know you love me. But suddenly when they start like just 
being obedient, like they know your will in their life and they respond. It's like, come here, I just love you so much. Not because of what you did, but, but your actions show me that you love me. And God wants us to obey him, not because he's, you know, trying to make our life miserable. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey me. And so we say, Lord, I love you. You've done everything for me. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, this is the one that's not up here. I'm doing it. It's a good verse. And it says, Paul is looking at the church and he says, Brethren, by the mercies of God. In this psalm, if you have the King James, it says, by the, you know, his mercy is, endures forever. Mercy is God withholding judgment, withholding something that we deserve. It says, by the mercies of God, I urge you, brethren. To, this is where my Bible memory kind of slacks. But it's essentially Gunner's version is I, brethren, by the mercies of God, I urge you to offer your lives as a, like a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. It's your reasonable act of worship. And the idea is, you know, a sacrifice always meant that an animal was sacrificed, like killed, dead for your sins. And he says, well, now in Christ, offer your life as a living sacrifice. And it says it's your reasonable act of service to the Lord. It's like that great hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Jesus paid it not 80% and you've got to cover 20% to make up the difference. No, he paid it all. Our lives respond, our service, our obeying is out of love. It's out of response. Verse 14, he continues here in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Behold, to the Lord your God. Uh, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them. He chose their des- descendants after them, even you above all peoples as it is this day. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. He's saying don't. Do all of this stuff and become religious, stuffy people that are religious, that think that they're earning God's favor by doing good deeds. They'd taken circumcision, which was a covenant to remind them that God had chosen Israel. It's right here in the Old Testament. Circumcise your heart. Later in Romans, Paul would say true circumcision is of the heart that God wants you to love him. Don't stiffen your neck. Let God guide you. Verse 17, for the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I want us to highlight that verse in our political culture. There's an attack on those who are aliens in our country. We might not agree with politics. We can do politics, what our policy is. But the people who are here do unto others. What if you were an alien? What if you were in their shoes? God created them. God loves them just as much as he loves you. And he tells his Jewish children, listen. When aliens come into your land, when outsiders come in, you be hospitable. You treat them like you want to be treated. How many of us, when we go to a foreign land, really want them to treat us in a nice, loving way? You know, when I was in Mongolia and I got real sick, I was really praying I didn't have to go to the hospital. 
It's like, oh, man, like they're probably not going to be able to read this little printout that says I have insurance. It's travel insurance. And I, you know, like, would they be gracious to me? And it's in the Old Testament. It's everywhere. Verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him. You shall swear by his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done these great and awesome things for which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. This is like right from Psalm 136, but it's not in song form. So it's a little bit easier to explain. So head back over to Psalm 136. And we'll look at these first three verses. To a Jewish person, they would know, they would know Deuteronomy. I mean, this was the, the Old Testament. We go to school, we use all kinds of books. To the, they used the Old Testament. That was their textbook. That's how they learned how to read. That's how they learned everything. They would memorize the first five books of the Bible. So when, when they're singing and dancing and clapping at the Western Wall or the temple in Jerusalem as the celebration was happening, and they say, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, his loving kindness is everlasting. They would go straight to Deuteronomy 17, know the whole context of that passage. And as we get into this psalm, so much of that passage is right here. The psalmist is going to say, as we're giving thanks, let's start with creation. We as Americans, we and as Europeans, most modern countries have no Bible understanding, basic Bible understanding. But they, they knew the scriptures. And so he's going to start from creation. He's going to say, uh, to him who alone does great wonders, or that word could literally be wonderful acts. To him who made the heavens with skill, or that word could literally be with understanding. That when he created it, it wasn't just like an accident, like he set it loose. He understood exactly what he did when he created. Verse 6, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights the sun to rule by day, the moon and the stars to rule by night. So he begins to praise God while all of this is happening. For his loving kindness is everlasting. 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 They're referencing Genesis chapter 1. Go back, go to the very first page of the Bible. Everything begins in from Genesis Genesis 1.1 is the absolute most difficult verse in the entire Bible to swallow. If you can't get through verse 1, like, like an honest, honest analytical perception, this is everything. Because it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a major stumbling block. That's a major, major stumbling block. When I see, I didn't wasn't I didn't wasn't raised in Sunday school. I wasn't raised in the church. I was no concept of the Bible. Like I learned uh, like a bunch of stuff in seminary and Bible college. Like, oh yeah, I guess I really did think that, you know. But when we start looking at the world's presentation of 
how we got here, the age-old question, how did we get here? Where did this stuff come from? There's the Big Bang Theory, which leads into evolution. And I looked at this, and I'm like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, like, no matter what they say, whatever the reason is, from an honest, like, scientific sort of background, they don't answer the most important question. Where did this stuff come from that collided? They'll never answer that question. And so I was like, what does it make sense? Like, you can have that theory, but where did this stuff come from? Like, everything came from somewhere. And they never go to that beyond that because you're scratching eternity. And only God is in eternity. And so the first verse of the Bible, ex nihilo, means out of nothing came stuff. We never truly, we, anything that we make or invent, we are basically reassembling stuff. But everything, like, at one point there was nothing. And then God spoke it and it existed. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. I don't know if you're like me. I question everything. I like, why do they do this? Why do they do this? You'll notice the Sabbath. That means Saturday, right? Why do the Jewish people start the Sabbath on whatever Friday is in Hebrew? Why? The Sabbath is Saturday. Saturday starts at midnight. Midnight. All through the Old Testament, there was darkness and light day one. So the Sabbath starts at sunset Friday because that's the beginning of the first day. Or the seventh day. And you'll see that all in the creation. Then God said in verse 6, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. Then God said, Let the waters below and the heavens... Be gathered in one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called the seas. God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind. Notice in this, the rest of this chapter, how many times this phrase comes up. After their kind. With their seed in them, and it was so, verse 12. The earth brought forth vegetation. Plants yielded seed after their kind. And trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning, a third day. Then God said, let the lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two, the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heaven to give light on earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good 
There was evening and there was morning a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with the waters that swarm after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle, creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us, notice the us, plural. We see the Trinity, the triunity of God. You'll never see the word Trinity in the scriptures. But from Genesis 1-1, we see the plurality of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be for you and to every beast that is on the earth, to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth, which is life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so God. God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Creation was done. I'm out of breath. It's a long chapter to read through. We need to understand Genesis chapter 1. God created it. From a skeptical position, I've invented a word, skeptimistic. I'm a pessimist, and I'm skeptical. I'm skeptimistic. I've had t-shirts made, or made them making fun of me, actually. When I look at the theory of evolution or the Big Bang Theory, and I look at scripture, and I look at science, see, creation is not a scientific, it's not a scientific subject. It's a history subject. We can't recreate creation. So we can use science to evaluate attempts. And when I look at this, the scripture says God created. Out of nothing, he created stuff. When he says he started making creatures after their own kind. Now, we see variations. Like, I can take a black lab and I can, you know, eventually breed a yellow lab and mix different breeds and have variations of breed. But I've never, nobody has ever seen a monkey turn into a man. It takes more faith, I believe, to believe in theory of evolution and the Big Bang Theory. I've blown up a ton of stuff. Never, I was a Navy SEAL, not just on my private time. Like I was, like I was endorsed and it was all safe for the most part. Blowing up stuff, when I see collisions, things move from order to disorder. It would be like saying that you were blowing up a, 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 I've heard it said that if you blew up a typewriter factory and a bunch of encyclopedias and dictionaries came out of the explosion, we would never think that in practical terms. And so the, from the Christian 
Judeo-Christian worldview, God created. And so we look at Genesis 1, which they knew. Back in Psalm 136, Gunnar, you sure took a long time. But it's important. Because if we don't understand Genesis 1, everything else is in doubt. And so in Psalm 136, after he calls praise to God's loving, giving thanks to the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the one who created and sustained the, sustains the universe, he goes on to him, the one who does great wonders with skill, with understanding, who spread out the earth above the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to rule by day, the moon and the stars to rule by night. See, do you see Genesis chapter 1 now? They knew they were they were taking Genesis one and they were turning it into a song. Musicians are weirdos to me. I have no rhythm. I have no tone. Like musicians lose their wallets all the time. They are artsy. They sing stuff. They take like something and they make it abstract. And it's hard for me. And it's no offense. I love musicians. I mean, we need them. But. So here we're taking Genesis 1, and the psalmist is putting it to song, but they had Genesis 1 in their hearts. So when they're singing, all of this is coming. Can you imagine life with no sun? Like, it's just darkness all over. I know Caroline is from Alaska. I would go crazy for three months with no sun or four months. However, like I don't know how they do it. I'm barely surviving the time change. It gets dark at 5, and by 6, I'm like... Oh, I need a cup of coffee. I need something. I like it. It's like putting me to sleep. But then on the flip side, if it was sunny all the time, like it is in Alaska, the anomaly of the world, like I think what they do is they put shutters where it makes it totally pitch black. So you fool yourself. But when you start looking at creation, science tells us that if you take the earth and you tilt it a half degree either way, life as we know it wouldn't exist on the earth. That there's the right percentage of oxygen in the air that when we inhale it, it's perfect for us. We live. And when we exhale, the carbon dioxide comes out. It's exactly what the plants need to survive. You start looking about our systems, our respiratory system, our circulatory system, our skin as a system. Like all of this stuff is amazing. And the psalmist is giving the Lord thanks. Like I love Going out into creation. I love it. I love hiking up a mountain. I love mountain biking. I'd go camping. But even if you're not into that, like I know my wife, what she loves is just walking on the beach and just, it's pretty. Psalm chapter 19. You can go there if you want, or I'll read the first four verses. Like, why do we give God thanks in looking at creation? Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor their words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. The psalmist says, you just man, you go up on top of Palomar Mountain and look out next time you're on a like a flight when you're thirty five thousand feet in the air. Just look over at the earth. When you're standing at the ocean, you see a sunset. The earth creation just is like, whoa. There is just a wonderful artist out there that created all of this. And our hearts are drawn to God. We're told that creation itself points to the creator. 
Now, Paul in Romans chapter 1, if you want to go there, it's right up there. Romans chapter 1, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. I'm trying to flip and think and talk. And so Romans chapter 1. Romans is, Paul is essentially an attorney, and he's writing a theological case to the Romans. The first three chapters are condemnation to all men. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans, I think it's 3.23. All have fallen short. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, he says, For since the creation of the world, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Since that time, his invisible attributes, so the attributes of God which you cannot see, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. He's saying that through creation itself, we look at creation, it's like, wow. It took a lot of power to create this. You guys remember when we did uh, Psalm chapter 8 and I looked at those slideshows of the earth, like, you know, how big, like, we feel like we are on earth. We can travel all the way around the world. But then you back up and by the time you get to the sun, it's like the picture of the earth looks pretty small. And by the time you get to some of these stars that we've discovered, the earth or the sun even becomes insignificant. And here the idea... We see from creation that there's enough to reveal who God is and it's also enough to condemn us before him. And in Psalm chapter 8, when David, the little shepherd boy, is out looking at all the stars, the 3,000 stars that you can see by the naked eye, he says, when I consider the heavens, the earth, what is man that you would consider him? And as we look at Psalm 136, it's reason for us to praise our God, our Creator. There is no problem that you're facing that is too big for God. And the psalmist begins his giving thanks to God with creation. There's so much just in creation. I'm a total nature guy. And I can give thanks to God just man, on a beach in the mountains. And you look at it, he's like, he made it for us to enjoy. Isn't that awesome? Like that he didn't just create us and put us in a cubicle with gray walls. Like there's green trees, there's beautiful flowers. In some places, I've heard there's snow and like the leaves change colors and stuff. We have like 80 degrees and sunny. Boring. We get like two weeks of fog and a little bit of sprinkles. But it's like, how awesome. He gave it to us to enjoy. And then verses 10 through 15. He's going to begin talking about God's hand in Israel's um, time, the, God's redemption. You know, Sunday or every night, Anna, Grace and I have been reading through. We upgraded Bibles, so we have one where, where like the pictures are get, like the pictures are still there, but the words are multiplying, and there's actually like more stories. And so we've been reading through it. And you know what? Adults can read kids' Bible. This is we have no Bible knowledge, so to get a kids' Bible and read through it, it's a great overview of the whole Bible. And so we've been reading through. And so at the end of Genesis, Joseph kind of rides up. He gets a cool little, if you've seen the musical or if you've read in the Bible, you know, he gets this, this coat of many colors. His, he was his dad's favorite. And then God starts giving him dreams and he tells his brothers, which you never, I mean, this is like, he had it coming. He says, one day you guys are all going to bow down before me. <laughs> there are a lot of them. It's like, oh, you think so, huh? To all like, the 11 other brothers. So they sell him into slavery. He tells them, oh, he was a brave man. He saved our life, but he gave his. 
Then years go by. David is, or David, Joseph is a slave in Egypt. He rises to power. Then he's in jail again. And then he, and then he, uh, the, the king has a dream. Pharaoh has his dream. Doesn't know what to make of it. David says, listen. Or David. Joseph says, there's going to be seven years of feast. We're going to have all kind of food. Then we're going to have seven years of famine. And he says, okay, I'm going to raise you up to like half the kingdom is yours. His brothers come bow down before him. By the end of the story, the Pharaoh says, bring all your family to Egypt. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, we see there were 70 people there. Generations go by. Pharaoh is not a name of somebody. It's a title like president. And a few, a a couple Pharaohs go by and we get to Exodus chapters 1 through 15. They look around and the Pharaoh who knows nothing of Joseph says, man, these Jewish people are overtaking us. This is bad. Let's make them slaves. And then God raises up Moses and Moses goes up to him through the plagues and says, let my people go. Like we need to go out and make sacrifices. And then God sends all of these plagues. Finally, the the Passover that we celebrate, they put blood on their doors and God would pass over that. But those that didn't have it, their firstborn animals, their children, everything, the firstborn would be wiped out. And then they left. And as they're departing through the Red Sea, God parts the Red Sea. The Egyptians are falling after the Red Sea closing. Those that don't believe in miracles, those that question it, they say, oh, it was only like 18 inches of water. I'm like, okay, well, fine. That's, that's way more of a miracle that all of the Egyptians drowned in 18 inches of water. Like they died and they didn't follow them. And the psalmist here is remembering the stories. Remember what God has done in our past. Israel is nothing. The only reason that we exist today is because of God's hand upon us. See verse 10. To him who smote the Egyptians in their firstborn and brought Israel out of their midst with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and made Israel pass through the midst of it. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. His loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is everlasting. He's remembering what God has done. It's so important for us to remember what God has done in our own lives. He goes on to say, to remind him of the protection that God has. Once they did their 40 years, they crossed through the Red Sea. They did. They wandered through the wilderness. They made it right up to the edge of Israel. Then they sent out 12 spies. There's a kid's song. Twelve went out. Two came back. You know, I don't know a song. Two were good. Ten were bad. They didn't have faith. God says, okay, you don't want to enter into the promised land? You're going to wander for 40 years and you're going to eat manna, which is what is it? That's what it tasted like. It was like nothing. 40 years. Then they entered the land. And as they're celebrating the feast, singing this psalm there in Jerusalem, in Israel. And they're saying, we didn't get this because our own strength, our own godliness, our own might. It's only because of God's promise to us. And he says, to him who led the people through the wilderness, to him who smote great kings and slew mighty kings, Shihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of the Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, even a heritage to Israel, his servant, who remembered us in our lowest state and has rescued us from our adversaries. And so the psalmist is there. They're celebrating. They remember what God has done for their nation. And as Christians, we kind of say, well, I understand that that's what God did. And, you know, wonderful, that God, wonderful. God did all this stuff for them. But who cares? Why do we care about Israel? Maybe that's a question. You know, who cares? We're Americans. 
The problem is, is going through Isaiah, there's no prophecy given to America concerning God's promises. There's all kind of promises to Israel. And every other nation is just how they treat Israel. It's important for us to support Israel. You go to Israel today, the first thing when we landed there, they said, you know what? If you don't believe in miracles, you need to believe in miracles because you just landed in one. After 2,000 years of not a state existing, and in 1948 when they were constituted as the state of Israel, again, that is a miracle. From day one, the world has wanted to annihilate them. That there is a leader of a nation in the world today that can look on worldwide television and say the Holocaust never happened. And as soon as we get nuclear weapons, we are going to annihilate them. This has been Israel's past. This is their their present. And for us as Christians to look at this tiny little country that's about the size of New Jersey and to know that they've existed and survived and fought all these battles and they still exist... We need to go, wow, God's promises are true. If what he tells Israel is true, when Jesus raised from the dead and he says, we no longer fear death, he's overcome death. And there's, don't let your hearts be troubled. In my father's house there are many mansions and I'm coming back and I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come and get you. That we no longer fear death. God has proven himself over and over and over again. And I love verse 25. Because it's like, we're, we're going from creation to the history of Israel, like parting of the Red Sea, major stuff. And then in verse 25, he says, who gives food to all flesh. To like the fact that you have a bologna sandwich today when you leave church, God provided that to you. All of us have food. And if you're struggling with food, just let us know. There'll be more food than you know what to do with. Like God has provided food, sustenance to all of us. And 26 is the conclusion. This is the response. So what, Gunner? What what does this matter to me? Give thanks to the God of heaven for his loving kindness is everlasting. We started with give thanks to... To the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his loving kindness is everlasting. Yesterday I was driving on the radio. I heard a guy talk. And he was talking about Thanksgiving. I really liked it. Because even in Christian circles, we're letting Thanksgiving kind of fall by the wayside. And he said, when you're discouraged, it's better to to count your blessings rather than your burdens. And last week I referenced an old hymn. And this hymn reminds me of George Farrington, for those of you who know who George Farrington. He was a pastor here for many years. He moved to the East Coast, but George taught me many hymns. And the hymn that comes to mind is Count Your Blessings. And the hymn goes like this. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost. So when life gets pretty bad and you think that you're at the place where you're ready to throw in the towel like you can't take you're so discouraged that you can't anymore this hymn says count your many blessings name them one by one and it will surprise you what the lord has done last week i played this silly um i'm not allowed to use this word in my household so i'm not going to use it here but the opposite of being smart you guys game i don't like the thankful game 
the problem is, is like when you start playing, like both services, having people say what you're thankful, the whole demeanor of this room went from to like smiling and laughing and just recanting the things to be thankful for. It says, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. As you start counting your blessings, like, oh man, the Lord did that. I really do have a lot to be thankful for. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? If you are alive, you are burdened with a load of care. Amen. We have a load of care in our life. Does the cross seem heavy? You are called to bear. Count your many blessings. Every doubt will fly. And you will keep singing as the days go by. When you look at others with their lands of gold, modern day translation, when you look and you see like the nice houses, like I don't care how big your house is, there's somebody who has a bigger house than yours. There's somebody who has a nice, nicer car. And if you have the nicest car that's ever made, somebody has a jet. And then if you want a jet, then there's somebody who has a bigger jet than you. There's always somebody who has something more. And this hymn says, when you look at others with their lands of gold, when you start envying other people's stuff when you don't have it, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings. Wealth can never buy. Your reward in heaven, nor your home on high. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be disheartened. God is overall. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God hath done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what God has done. And George would be shaking his finger and we'd be rocking out. And you get this little like, you'll be cranky. Last night when I said this, Anna started whistling it, you know, like the tune. And you're like walking around going, count your blessings. And it's like, oh, I can't like be mad. I got to like it. Like, would you start thinking about being thankful? You become it's the antidote for everything. This psalm is all about giving thanks to the Lord. What I want to do right now is just for us to vocalize things that we're thankful for. What I said during the last service, I'll start. I'm thankful to the Lord for this church. I can't, um, I got all choked up last service. I, I've done a lot of things in my life and uh, a lot of things that are really scary. And I remember driving up here, it was like in April of 2007, to go to Valley Center, which might have been Africa to me. And I was asked, well, there's a church that's struggling, and, and uh, would you, like, kind of would you be up to, to restarting it? So I came up in April, and I'm like, well, I'll preach there once. And I remember driving, being so scared. Like, I tried to eat a granola bar, and I thought I was going to have to pull over and throw up on the side of the road. I was so nervous coming here. And then we entered here. And it was like, I, I thought there was 14, but Alberto corrected me. There was 12 people that were present. Two of them were visitors from Montana. There were 20 seats right here. And the average, the youth group was Alberto. And we don't need to ask his age, but that's a youth group. And then there was much older than Alberto. And I was like, there's so much love here. And it's like, oh, Lord, you're calling me to this? Like, it was scary, horrified. And three years down the road to see the love and compassion and community within this body, it, amaz- it's, it's, it is wonderful that there's diversity of age and cultures and that we are all united through Christ. And I love it. 
It's, it's, I've, that, that when we came here, so many people were to support us. And now we have a missionary that's having a hard time, and we have the resources to say, hey, come. We, we're going to take care of you. I'm so blessed. That's my blessing. Sorry, I'm, I'm a long-winded. So what are you guys thankful to the Lord for? Just shout out. What's that? Family. Family, our family. Amen. I'm thankful for my family. Animals. Animals. You love animals. Thank you, Bobby. I'm thankful for you and Elle, too. Yeah, back for health and strength. Very good. For the word of God. Amen, brother. That's a good pastor answer. I like that. <laughs> okay, Bob had his... Jesus. Amen. Family. Family. Peace of God in the midst of situations. Good one. What other things are we thankful for? The Raiders. All the Chargers. For... What other things are we thankful for? Before we have a war break out here. <laughs> The freedom to worship on Sundays. This is a freedom that, that's not experienced in other places. What are the things are we thankful for? What is that? Music. I am thankful for music and those that can make it happen. We'd be in trouble if it was me. So any other things as we wrap up here? Freedom of democracy. Yeah, Larry. Good. I'm thankful for you. Mercy and grace. Amen. So why don't we close in prayer? We're going to sing a song. And, uh, you know, my prayer for us is that we would become thankful people. As we give thanks to God, it's the antidote for everything. In this five minutes, you guys are all smiling, not going, man, how much longer will we have? Is he done yet? Come on. So, Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord. You are the God of gods, the Lord of lords. We thank you for your creation. We thank you that you've given us this life. We thank you for our family. We thank you for the unlimited, just the blessings that you've poured out upon us. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts, Lord, to the things that we've become unthankful for. We desire to be people filled with gratitude. Lord, we thank you for the work of the cross, that you paid it all for us. Lord, we thank you that we have a relationship with you. We thank you for the promises of eternity. Lord, we pray um, that your hand would continue to move in our midst, Lord, that you would grow us into the people that you desire us to be. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as you're able. Sing to the King who is come.